Mark Twain, Walt Whitman, Will Rogers, all made a good living spinning their yarns for everyone's entertainment. Some of their stories were true, some were not, but the people listening to them had their imaginations stirred, sparked, energized by the stories these guys were telling. In our generation, Garrison Kaler has told his stories of an imaginary place called Lake Wobegon in Minnesota. He hosted the Prairie Home Companion radio show from 1974 until 2016. That's 42 years, folks. That's a long time to do anything. How many of us in this room have heard his humorous tales, right? Yeah, a lot of people have. Our family has a bunch of his stories on cassette tapes. Now, for you kids, a cassette tape was a plastic thing, <laughs> device with a tape recording in it, wrapped up inside it, and you would put it into a machine called a cassette tape machine, and you could listen to it. Someday you'll see one in a museum. Well, one vacation trip to Florida, our, when our kids were younger, we listened to the amazing storyteller, Garrison Kaler, in our minivan all the way there. That's a thousand miles of Garrison Kaler. And it doesn't sound so great, but actually it was pretty entertaining. It really made those miles go by faster. Uh, <laughs> stories have captured the imaginations of people since the dawn of time, I'm sure. Often as people sit around the campfire at night, they tell stories of their adventures and their mishaps and their exploits. Or perhaps they share a scary story or two trying to keep everybody awake once they go to bed for the night. You know, that's the famous thing of the Boy Scouts. You know, we would tell the worst stories possible and then all try and go to sleep at night. It's kind of impossible to do that. And the same thing happens at church camp. It happens probably anywhere kids are. Sleepovers and, and the like. But we love to tell stories. And uh, somehow everybody tries to outdo everyone else. Well, I got to know. I'll tell you this one. And uh, we just love to do it. Do you know that God has a story? God has a story, and his story begins before man was ever created. But the story that he tells focuses on mankind and God's love for us. God's story begins in a beautiful garden, perfect place of harmony and wonder. But it quickly devolved into a story of tragedy and pain, even though in that story you know, we know that God will triumph in the end. God's story, like most stories, has a protagonist and a villain. Main character and a villain. The protagonist, main character, is God. And the main storyline is his love for mankind. But there is a villain, and his name is Satan, who is a former angel who rebelled against God even before our world was created. And that villain continues to oppose everything good that God does. So he's part of the story, too, and... One of the reasons this story captures our imagination. Down through the ages, prophets have told God's story. They have been God's storytellers. They have been inspired by God's spirit to bring messages from God to his people and others. And now, under the new covenant through Jesus, every Christian has been tasked to tell God's story. God's story of love for mankind. Now, thinking about the Old Testament prophets as storytellers, did you know that not all of them 
wanted to be God's messengers, wanted to be storytellers for God. When God asked Moses to lead the people out of Israel or out of Egypt, Moses said to them, to God, send somebody else. You know, go get someone else because I can't talk plainly. Jeremiah was also called by God. And Jeremiah was chagrined to learn that he would have a rough go of it uh, as God's storyteller. For 40 years, 40 painful years, Jeremiah told God's story to a people who didn't want to hear him. <laughs> didn't want to hear what he was talking about. And Jonah, you probably know Jonah's story. Jonah ran the other way when God said, tell my story to the Ninevites. Because Jonah hated the Ninevites. And he ran the other way as fast as he could. And what about Isaiah? Isaiah was shocked to learn that God could even use him, unclean as he was. And yet, when God asked, who can we send? Who will go for us? Isaiah responded, here am I, Lord. Send me. God has a story to tell. And it's the best story ever. God could easily tell it himself, east to west, north to south. And I'm sure he could find a way to tell everyone all at once what he wants us all to know. But God, in his wisdom, has chosen to tell his story through us, through you and me. He has chosen to make us part of his story and the very messengers of that story. It amazes us, it astounds us that God would allow us to tell his story, but he does. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And that's how I often feel as a preacher, don't you, as a Christian, that somehow I'm this jar of clay, but inside of me, inside of my, my awareness and what I can share with others is a valuable, valuable treasure beyond comprehension. Some of God's prophets didn't want to prophesy. What about us? Are we willing to tell God's story or not? Do we feel perhaps sometimes that we don't deserve such an honor? Do we think it would be a burden that we'd like to do without? Do we lack confidence in ourselves or our speaking skills? What about us? Are we willing to share God's story with the world? Dan Taylor wrote this. He said, human beings are story-shaped creatures. We are born into stories, raised in stories. We live and die in stories. Whenever we have to answer a big question, who am I? Why am I here? What should I do? What happens to me when I die? We tell a story. The Ur story, the story of Abraham and his call from God, is the story of God's love for his creation. And all other stories are to be measured against it. The single best way of conceiving of faith and of a faithful life is as a story in which you and I are characters. Your life task is to be a character in the greatest story ever told. It is what you were created for. Last week I mentioned the man that the Apostle John wrote about in John chapter 9. The man whose blindness Jesus healed. He didn't know everything about Jesus that he wished he knew, but he was very willing to share what he did know. Do you remember what he said in John 9, 24 and 25? A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. 
Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, that is Jesus, is a sinner. And the man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And he testified to Jesus. He was saying, I may not know everything I'd like to know, but one thing I do know, Jesus healed me. Jesus changed my life. And this man's life had been touched by Jesus, and he couldn't help but tell people about it. God's story had reached out to him in his blindness, and he would never be the same. This morning, let's go to another place in the Gospel of John, this time in John 4. So if you have a Bible or can grab one from the seat in front of you, let's turn to John chapter 4. John tells a true story here that should be familiar to many of us. I've actually referred to this passage a couple of times during this message series, Organic Outreach. And we want to just look at that story again because there's some things for us today about telling God's story and telling our story. Jesus was doing ministry among the people of Galilee and decided that he had to pass through Samaria with his disciples. And while his disciples went into town to buy food for lunch, Jesus stayed at the well at Sychar, sitting under a palm tree perhaps trying to stay cool. A Samaritan woman came up to draw water at noon in the heat of the day, not the normal time for that. It's easy to see that she was avoiding everyone else because she was a woman with a sordid past. She had slept with many different men in her life. She was in and out of one relationship or another. And so she waited to go get the water that she needed when no one else was likely to be there. Instead, she found a Jewish man sitting beside the well. She was shocked when Jesus spoke to her. What surprised her even more was that he asked her to get him a drink of water. A Jewish man in the first century would never speak to a Samaritan woman in public. And yet this man asked him to get, her a drink, get him a drink with the clay pitcher that she was lowering into the well. This amazed her. And she said so. In their conversation, Jesus looked right into her heart and saw what her life was like. He basically confronted her with her sinful lifestyle by saying, go call your husband and then come back. And she replied, I have no husband. And then Jesus said, you're right. The fact is you've had five husbands and you are now living with someone who is not your husband. Again. She tried to distract Jesus by changing the subject. She realized he was a prophet, that he was getting way too close. He was getting into her heart now, and, and she was uncomfortable. Just then, the disciples came back with the food that they had bought in town. And this became just the opportunity the woman needed so she could run back to town to tell people about meeting Jesus. John tells us this in John 4, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? In just a few minutes with Jesus, she had been so impacted by him that she felt her life being turned upside down and for the better. She couldn't wait to tell her neighbors about Jesus and the conversation that she had had with him. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Here's this Samaritan woman that had a very bad past, very bad lifestyle. 
and she had been in the habit of avoiding everyone. She went out to draw her water at noon when she would know that no one else was there. She wanted as little interaction as possible with the rest of the people in her town. But suddenly her shyness and her shame were lost when she met Jesus. Suddenly she was running back to town to tell everyone about the man at the well. Now she had an amazing story to tell. And she was eager to tell it. She had met someone who had the power to change lives, even broken lives like hers. Could this be the one that God had promised he would send? Could it be? It was it possible? Notice the effect that her testimony had on the other people of her town. She was so convincing in her demeanor and in her enthusiasm and her words that many people came out of the town and made their way to Jesus. John tells us in John 4, 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. God was telling his story. God was telling his powerful love story to the Samaritans one by one. Through Jesus, he was touching the hearts of each of them. And they were entering into God's story. One by one, they were being changed by Jesus, the savior of the world. Every time... God works in our lives or the life of someone we know. We have something else to share with other people that will bring glory to God. Every new day brings fresh stories of God's goodness and grace. And we Christians then don't have just one testimony. It's not just the testimony of how we came to faith in Christ, how we surrendered our life to Christ. We have many testimonies. For our testimonies are stories of God's power and God's presence in our daily lives. You know, I wonder sometimes on Sunday what the rest of the world is thinking about us who go to church. You, know, you get ready and you get out in your car and you come down here and you worship and you share with us for an hour or two or three. You go back home. There are a lot of people in your neighborhood or people out in the city that, that didn't even participate in any of that. They didn't go anywhere to church. They didn't know anything about church. And they must be wondering what's going on inside these buildings. You know, what are they doing in there after all? They see the cars in the parking lot each week, but they be may be clueless about what's actually happening inside the building. Do you ever think about that? People outside the church may not think that we really believe what we say we believe. You know, it's just propaganda. It's just, you know, uh, tradition. It's just ritual, routine. They may be skeptical. They may be doubtful about the truth of our words. But as Kevin Harney says, when we give an authentic and passionate testimony, we declare that we truly do believe in a God who is active, in a God who is powerful. We tell God's story by telling our stories of what he is doing in our lives. By telling about our experiences of God working in our lives, we can communicate to our non-believing friends and family members how God blesses our lives in many ways. 
And our God does so many things. Here's a short list of what God does. We can tell them how he answers prayer and how he heals broken bodies and how he restores shattered hearts and how he puts together fragmented marriages and families and how he sets us free from worry or fear, how he washes away our sin and guilt, how he comforts the lonely and the hurting, and how he gives new purpose and direction to life. The list could go on and on and on, and stories could go on and on about our great God. The Apostle Paul was touched powerfully by God's stories. He was at one point in his life so opposed to Jesus, just as opposed as he could possibly be, but God had a better purpose for Paul's life. Paul had the opportunity to share his testimony many times in many places. And he told God's story to the Jewish Sanhedrin. He told it to kings, to governors, and even eventually to the Roman emperor. For 30 years or more, Paul gave his testimony in the marketplace, and in synagogues, and in churches, and even on Mars Hill in Athens. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 22 for a minute. I want you to turn over to that, if you will, please. Paul's conversion, Paul's uh, change of life through Jesus Christ is actually told three times in the book of Acts, in the ninth chapter, and in uh, chapter 22, also in chapter 26. First time it happens, we read about it as, as it's going on. The other two times, he's recounting what has happened. He's sharing his testimony of what Jesus did in his life at that time. In this chapter 22, Paul had traveled back to Jerusalem after one of his missionary journeys. The Spirit had warned him over and over again that when he got to Jerusalem, he would be arrested and imprisoned. And it happened just as the Spirit had said it would. As he was arrested, however, Paul asked the Roman commander for permission to speak to the mob, to the crowd that had gathered around him at his arrest. And the man agreed. And after the crowd quieted, Paul said this, Acts 22, starting in verse 3. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem uh, in Damascus. About noon, I came near Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Do you know Paul's story? <laughs> the story of what happened to him on the road to Damascus. As he went there to persecute Christians, he was struck blind by his vision of Jesus. He had to be led into town by his companions. And for the next three days, he fasted and prayed as he tried to figure out what God was saying to him. And at the end of that time, God sent a Christian man named Ananias to tell him what he needed to do. God had revealed to Ananias that Saul, who was to become the Apostle Paul, would be his chosen vessel to carry 
the gospel to the Gentiles. And so with no little fear or trepidation, Ananias approached Saul. And he placed his hands on Saul so that he could regain his sight. And he said to Saul these words, verse 14, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. From the moment of his baptism into Christ forward, Saul, Paul, became a witness for Jesus Christ in the world. And his story became one with God's story. From that moment on, Paul told anyone anywhere what God had done in his life and what he could also do for them. Each of us has been called by God to tell our stories too. And we will tell, uh, tell them that we are actually telling God's story. It's not about us, it's about God. God's story of redemption through Jesus Christ. Since it's my responsibility, the responsibility of the leaders of this church to encourage you, to equip you to tell God's story, let me share a couple helpful reminders with you. You might want to take out a piece of paper, take some notes. I want to just share six little things for you to think about, and you can reflect on this later as you tell your story and God's story. First of all, ask permission and don't be push pushy. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be confrontational. You don't have to be controversial. Just say, is it okay with you I, if I tell you something happened? Uh, do something uh, maybe God did in my life. Is it okay? Get your permission, then you tell the story. Secondly, when you tell it, use ordinary language. Uh, don't try and use some kind of holy language or something. Avoid using churchy words, theological terms. Just talk as you normally would, very simply. Just talk as you would in any other occasion. Thirdly, highlight God's presence and God's power. Bring glory to God, not yourself. And since we're trying to keep these things kind of short, anyhow, get to the point and give your admiration for God to them. Just say, I want to tell you what God did. I want to tell you about God's presence or God's power. Fourthly, clearly present before and after pictures. What did God do? What did God change? Where were you before and after God moved or God acted in your life? Fifthly, share the source of life transformation who is Jesus. Remember, it is his story. It's not your story. We're just a character in Jesus' story. Our, our story is part of his story. And when God starts to do something in our lives and in the life of the person we're talking to, they need to know who deserves the credit. It's Jesus that did this. Jesus is the one that touched my life. Jesus is the one that changed their situation. Jesus is the one that brought healing. Jesus is the one that brought uh, 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 new uh, uh, health and vitality to their marriage or to their family or just to their life personally. And then finally, remember that you have many testimonies. You don't have just one to tell. You have many that could happen in your lifetime. And you don't have to give them the whole load at once. Just give them one. Keep them hungry for the next one. 
save some of them for later. I wonder this morning, as you think about your story and how you might share that story with others, some of the, the reactions that we may have, and I know the reactions I've had. Sometimes I've felt that, you know, how could God use me? How could God use my life? I, you know, I, I do what I think I should do for him, and maybe it fell flat. Maybe I even failed at that. So let me share a story with you. In the book, Second Calling, Dale Burke writes that years ago, she went to this Christian conference. And when it was over, her friend Bruce offered her a ride to the airport. They were about ready to leave the airport. Another man asked if he could catch a ride. He had been at the conference too. And he said, I, I need to get to the airport also. May I ride with you? And as they drove from there, uh, she and Bruce asked the man where he worked. You know, what ministry are you part of? What church are you part of? Or what, whatever that brought you to this conference. And he mentioned a Christian organization by name. And Bruce said, you know, I have fond memories of that group because I attended a retreat of theirs one time, and that's where I became a Christian. It was way back in 1972 in New Hampshire. And so he went on to explain eventually that his whole family had become Christians as a result of him becoming a Christian, and that many of them had entered into full-time Christian work. His sister had become a Wycliffe missionary, and Bruce himself had become publisher of a major Christian publishing house, which you know, brought many good, significant books uh, to the public. Bruce kind of finished up his story with a flourish, saying that the retreat that he had attended back in 1972 had had a worldwide impact, when you think about it. And the man he was telling this story to was totally silent. I mean, he's talking about his organization, and he said nothing. And so they started to think, well, maybe we're boring him. You know, maybe he doesn't really care about this. But then the stranger suddenly, quietly said, you know, in 1972, I led that retreat. It was my first time to be the conference leader. And I came out of it feeling like a total failure. Until this moment, I'd always believed it was one of the biggest failures of my life. And so then Dale writes, what had seemed like the simple act of offering a ride to a stranger had turned into a powerful reminder that God uses our efforts whether we realize it or not. I may spend the rest of my life doing things that don't seem all that successful, and yet only God knows the purpose. I am simply called to be faithful. May your heart be encouraged by that story today, to tell your story, to tell God's story, to let God be responsible for how your stories are used to change the hearts of the people around you. Do you think God could never use you because you can't speak properly? You know, I just, I don't have the ability to get up in front. I can't say what I'd like to say. I can't do it the way I'd like to do it. I, I, I'm not up to par, so I'll never do that. Let me tell you an experience that another preacher named John Stott had. He said once when he went to preach at the University of Sydney in Australia, he lost his voice. I've had that happen on a Sunday. It's not fun. He says, what can you do with a missionary who has no voice? We had come to the last night of this evangelistic campaign. The students had booked the big university hall. A group of students gathered around me, and I asked them before the service to pray as Paul did that this thorn in the flesh might be taken from me. But we went on to pray that if it pleased God, 
to keep me in weakness, I would rejoice in my infirmities in order that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Well, as it turned out, I had to get within one inch of the microphone just to croak out the gospel that night. He said, I was unable to use any inflection of voice, and I couldn't express really my personality of how I normally preach. It was just a croak in the microphone. And all the time, we were crying to God that his power would be demonstrated in human weakness. Well, I can honestly say that there was a far greater response that night than any other night. I've been back to Australia ten times now, and on every occasion, someone has come up to me and said, do you remember that night when you lost your voice? I was converted that night. And I want you to know from my own experience, there have been many times on Sunday mornings when I got up to speak that I thought I have nothing to say. I'm not sure that anybody's going to be benefited by this. This will be anything that God could, could even use because I feel so badly about what I'm ready to, to share. And it's been on those very occasions that God has spoken most powerfully because I got out of the way. And I didn't worry about me and what I could or could not do. I just threw myself upon God and said, God, use my feeble efforts. Use my failure, if it will, to touch someone else's life. Don't ever be afraid to share your story and to tell God's story. Tell it plain. Tell it simply. Give testimony to God's power in your life. And what he's done and what he is still doing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have used us in so many ways when we didn't feel like we even offered anything of worth to you. I thank you, Lord, that you have used our words. You have used our lifestyle. You've used uh, our good deeds, our compassion, our kindness in ways that we would never have predicted they could be used. Sometimes when we just stop for a moment to help somebody, a life can be changed because a heart is touched by that act or by that word and things happen. Lord, we give you the credit, we give you the honor, the glory uh, for all that you do, even through people like us. You have chosen us to be your vessels. You have chosen us to carry that that uh, amazing gift the good news of Jesus and Lord I pray today that uh, we would be encouraged that we'd be willing to, to speak of your goodness to speak of your presence and of your power into the lives of the people around us help us to tell our story which is really your story that others may be drawn to you we pray this in Jesus name Amen